0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. And this this brand, to me, kind of is nostalgic, and I'll tell you why. It was somewhere around 1992, 93, 94 time frame. I really can't remember. What I can remember is that my uncle picked me up in a blue S10 pickup from my grandma's house. Me and my brother were spending some time at my grandma's house and he picked me up and he said, Hey, do you want to go pheasant hunting with me? And we got into his S10. We got his dog. It was like a, a lab Weimaraner mix. This, this lab's name was, or this dog's name was Cujo. And this dog was crazy. Like he would go and get the pheasants before they even jumped up and he would bring them back to us alive most of the time but he was like one of the coolest uh, pheasant dogs that I have ever seen or ever will see just a crazy just a crazy dog love doing it anyway we're driving out to pheasant hunt and I look on the console and for some reason this memory just really sticks out there is a box of Federal shotgun shells sitting in the console of his car, 12-gauge shotgun shells. We get to the farm, and we get out. I'm putting on a pair of gloves and a jacket and putting on my blaze orange stocking cap. And he says to me, I was probably 12 or 13 at the time, and he says, well, uh, if you're ever going to go pheasant hunting or you're going to go duck hunting or turkey hunting, you should probably always use federal shotgun shells and at the time I didn't know any better right and so uh, he's telling me about the shotgun he's telling me that I should use federal uh, ammunition and he takes me out Cujo jumps into this buffer strips and he starts working real hard and he ends up jumping up a rooster pheasant I pull up I do exactly what my uncle told me one shot one kill pheasant down Cujo goes uh, gets the pheasant brings us brings him back and I was so excited I was so jacked up this was the first animal that I had ever killed other than beaten uh, trapped animals with a a bat you know from trapping (laughs) but uh, I was so excited I wanted to go home and tell my grandma and tell my mom and share the story with them and that is a a memory that I will always remember and it just so happens that the the brand Federal Premium is kind of associated with that memory. And with it being turkey season, uh, I buy Federal Premium ammunition when I go turkey hunting, uh, if I ever do go duck hunting, uh, when I go pheasant hunting, for more than one reason. I mean, it's a great brand that's been around like 100 years. These guys are doing some amazing things with their ammunition uh, where they have uh, a denser a, a denser shot that flies in tighter patterns at longer distances so it's like a, it's a higher velocity shot and it just kills turkeys dead but it's a brand that is kind of nostalgic to me and uh, that is why I have always used federal premium ammunition and will continue to uh, because my uncle told me I needed to and he took me on my first pheasant hunt and it's just, again, it's a memory that will, uh, that will stick with me forever. So if you want to find out more information about Federal Premium Ammunition, visit their website, federalpremium.com. Happy Friday everybody and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host Dan Johnson and we got a really interesting episode for you today. We have buddy pyland from Ozonics. I've known this guy for a lot of years I'm gonna say like over over seven over maybe close to ten years maybe I don't know uh, a long time uh, I met buddy. When I was back in the uh, white-knuckle production days, we were uh, working with Ozonics back then. And that partnership and that relationship kind of transferred over to the Nine Finger Chronicles. And uh, a really good guy. I, what I like about Ozonics, and I say this a lot about the companies that I work for, is the, the people, Right. I love working with people who are participants and who are energized about their products. And that's what Buddy is. And that's what the crew at Ozonix is. But today I catch up with Buddy this is kind of a two-part podcast part number one is a bs session where i talk to him about some bucket list hunts talk to him about what he's doing this spring what he's doing this fall uh, how his last hunts were Um, we talk about uh, some upcoming hunts uh, some draw hunts that he's really excited for but uh, the second part of this is more serious right we talk about how ozone can potentially kill the COVID-19 virus. And we talk about how we can take ozone and we can take our ozonics and use them at home to disinfect our house, uh, to kill odor, to kill bacteria, to kill viruses. And uh, that's what the second part of that podcast is or this podcast is about. So we have uh, a fun and then an educational part of this episode. And Buddy does a really good job explaining... um, everything you know how to do it when to do it and that's what uh, buddy's here to do uh here to do today so that's what this episode is about before we get into the episode we got to talk about vortex optics they are the title partner of this podcast and um what what i really like about this company and i said it already about ozonics but participants good people people who are excited about what they do And where their products are used, right? You know, sometimes I talk with people in organizations that are not participants, right? They don't shoot guns. They don't hunt. They're just the marketing person, right? Or they're just the the product specialist and they don't necessarily use them in a real world scenario. So it's it's good talking with people from Vortex who are also like-minded individuals. So that's one just one of the reasons why I like working with Vortex. Now, the second part is their product line, right? They have awesome rifle scopes, red dots, binoculars, spotting scopes range finders and just to kind of put it into a real world scenario uh, last year when I went on my mule deer hunt I didn't realize this was my first I would say um, it was my first wide open sit down spot and stalk type of hunt where we did a lot of moving but we also did a lot of glassing and i didn't realize the importance of a good spotting scope and a good pair of binoculars until we really needed them trying to spot mule deer coming off the tops and bed and and in all the crevices and being able to identify the details and whatnot so uh, vortex optics if you if you haven't had the opportunity to go look at their optics man they're, they're top line they're they are absolutely great vortexoptics.com and do not forget their warranty you break it someone else breaks it as long as you purchased it from the company or you have them you and you break them i've had to use this warranty multiple times you break it you send it in they fix it if they can't fix it they'll send you a replacement straight up And if that's not customer service, I don't know what is. So VortexOptics.com, go check them out. I've talked a lot already. This is a very long, big intro, and I'm sorry for that. But let's get into today's episode with Buddy Pylant. Now, every time I get this guy on the phone, it's been a pleasure. It's it's, It's a pleasure because, I don't know, we go back quite a ways, Buddy, don't we?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember maybe eight years, something like that, ATA 2010 or somewhere around there, I would guess.
0: Yeah. So it's been um, it's been a while, and I always like catching up with you because I feel like uh, you're one of the originals when it comes to one of the first people, not necessarily that I've met in the hunting industry, but that I, I continue to communicate with on a regular basis, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. So, and you know, this whole coronavirus thing uh, is is causing chaos in just about everybody's life. But, And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how O3 and Ozonics might be able to help fight and combat uh, this virus and all viruses and, and bacteria. But I want to kind of just have a little BS session with you up front because I feel like the world just needs to chill out and BS with some buddies for a while.
1: You know it's funny you say that I, I had that same conversation with Scotty this morning you know um, all of us in our day-to-day lives whether you turn the news on whether you're talking to your family or, or you're you're on the phone or at home no matter what you're doing everything revolves around that and, and I get it I completely understand that but this morning I just couldn't do it I was like I, I got I have to get I have to do something different and uh, oddly enough there I've I'm fascinated with, with, uh, sheep hunts. And so I happened to uh, stumble across a YouTube video of, uh, Jason Harrison's last hunt with, with Donald Trump Jr. And Brendan Burns where they were chasing stone sheep and they, they killed three stone sheep in 11 days, one with a bow, two with a rifle. And, and I needed to have that right. because that's what we do. Right. Right. And, I, and that was, uh, I can relate.
0: Yeah. I mean, I find myself, uh, shutting off the news and do, doing something similar, right? We have, we have quiet time in our house where it's typically after lunch and, uh, maybe the youngest boy, he's in the back bedroom, but my daughter and my son every once in a while, will uh, will get YouTube on the TV and we'll watch some kind of unique high country mule deer hunt or some, uh, back, you know, DIY back country type of hunt that uh is more than just you know showing up someplace and shooting a deer like there's this adventure to it and uh it's pretty cool because they they seem to be captivated by it and they ask a lot of questions and at the same time i enjoy watching it so it's something that we've all been able to kind of do together that's not paw patrol and it's not uh and it's not like the you know end of the world type news Absolutely.
1: Now, my grand, I, I've got to get that figured out because my grandkids were, were here on, you know, with all the daycares and schools being shut. My, my wife's trying to help out my uh, my son and daughter. And so we had the grandkids for just a little bit. And uh, yeah, they, there's no watching hunting videos in there. So I've got to get that secret for you.
0: <laughs> Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. And there's an, an, <laughs> another one called PJ Mask. It's about kids here's the crazy thing it's about three kids they go to school during the day but then they fight crime at night and somehow their parents don't know about it
1: (laughs) that's uh hey i guess that's a pretty good premise (laughs) right
0: Um, right? so they fight crime and the kids just for my my youngest son will sit and not even blink to the point where i think he's having some kind of problem because he just <laughs> sits and stares at pj mask so if you ever uh have the grandkids over and you got to get some work done throw in pj mask
1: okay i'm gonna write that down <laughs> Make, a, make a
0: note. so sheep hunt right um you've been watching some sheep hunts on youtube is is that on a bucket list of yours
1: you know it it, it, it is i don't know that i'll ever get to do it um I get a little older every year and I know both Scotty and I uh, uh, Scott, the founder and CEO of Ozonics uh, been my uh, best friend for almost, uh, I don't know, 17, 18 years now, long time before Ozonics came along, but uh, yeah, he, he has a dream to do that and uh, it's kind of grown on me. And so I've been studying it quite a bit, but something I would love to do someday. Yes. You said it earlier. The adventure hunt is. I love killing whitetail. Don't get me wrong. For me, the, it's it's so cathartic and and therapeutic. I think would be a, a good word. The way I use the deer woods, and I love chasing deer with a bow. But right. the adventure hunts, chasing elk, the mountains, the, the the
0: getting to
1: just getting to your place to hunt. I, I I've grown to love that as well in in doses.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's uh. You know I kind of I would love to go on on a sheep hunt just just from the footage that I've seen but uh the amount of money and the about the amount of uh preference points you have to collect on some of these hunts in order to get and go um are not within my reach right now, so so within my reach are like over-the-counter mule deer hunts, you know, going to Colorado for mm-hmm. for an elk hunt, um, maybe going out of state to uh, for another whitetail hunt. But um, I'm going to be cashing in some preference points for Wyoming this upcoming year, or 2021, when I turn 40. So I'll turn 40 November 5th of 2020, but the fall... Of 2021 is when I hopefully I'm going to cash in some of my uh, elk and antelope mule deer points that I've been collecting for the past seven years. And uh, the goal is to do it big my 40th year. Oh, yeah.
1: That'll be phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what do you have on the list for 2020 as far as fall hunts or spring, even spring?
1: Well, right now... Um, nothing for spring everything's been kind of put on hold obviously uh, given the current situation and just quite frankly i'm really we're really really busy from uh um an ozonic side what i do there and then what i i do every day um with the railroad so very very busy um but fall we've got a full schedule this fall we've got an alberta um velvet hunt with a friend of friend of ours uh Trevor Montefillo, he uh, he has he's had a duck out duck and goose outfitting company for many years, and he chases the flyway from all the way from the start of the season ends up in Arkansas at the end of the season, which is is really cool. But he also uh, chases and outfits for for white tail, but he's invited us up, so I'm going to do something I've never killed a, a white tail in velvet, so I'm going to hit that late August and then for about uh, eight days and then come back take a quick break and schedule to go to kentucky as long as as long as the world will allow it i'm going to go to kentucky and try to do the same thing in kentucky uh, the first or second week of september um saskatchewan's on my list like it is every year in november i went december last year uh, tried to do the last week of the season there um which that, that's a great story. I didn't kill anything, but I, I actually got skunked last uh, season on all my hunts. It's okay. Uh, great stories behind all of them. Great experience. Well, two of them were great experiences. One of them was uh, was not so good, but it, it, that happens sometimes, right? Yeah. Yes, it um, does. So so Saskatchewan.
0: So Saskatchewan. Um, have you ever hunted in the Midwest, like Ohio, Iowa, Illinois, let's even uh kansas
1: i've hunted kansas i i took a actually the in 2013 i i shot my biggest deer to date which was my second buck He was about 125 inch eight point that was just a which was, was a, a hunt i'll never forget but yeah so i have hunted missouri no luck in missouri and right now i've got two preference points for iowa and uh, i'm going to get another one this year and hope i hunt iowa next year
0: okay so the reason I asked that question is because you're you're taking two trips to Canada. Is what's yep. is there something different or special about Canada that you really like as compared to all the other offerings here in in the US as for whitetails?
1: Well yeah, I, I'm going to Alberta. I I hunted Alberta this last year in the Edmonton Bow Zone, which is a really special place. They haven't had firearms in, in that zone since nineteen seventy-two, I believe. Um, and they've got some exceptional animals. It's like hunting the Midwest. You're hunting, uh, travel routes, um, bedding to feeding areas. So just exactly like hunting the Midwest, very different from what I do in Saskatchewan. Um, it wasn't a good, they've had so much rain, most rain they've had in 40 or 50 years. And it just wasn't a real good hunt this year. Um, in fact, I didn't see a mature deer for seven days on stand, uh, buck that is, yeah. um, uh, but i'm going back to alberta again a little bit further north um, just because of the invite and the opportunity but saskatchewan's a really special place so i hunt the, the northern timber in the in the bush up there and you go we go camps about 9 miles deep and some of the stands that we go to you're 20 miles from camp and and so when you start thinking about that the nearest road in some of those spots is is miles and miles away and some of these animals have never seen a human and they're just so big bodied and and i mean they're just different animals and and I've, I've seen wolves up there it's just a different place that and my friendship with dean partridge uh has it I, I go up there just to hang out with him as much as i do to hunt at this point but i have three beautiful deer on my wall and uh which which uh like this last season um i i sat from sun up to sundown for six days past several good deer because it's such a special place and i have had such good luck up there that um i i was willing to suffer through those those minus 10 days uh to kill the to kill the animal not a animal and so that's a pretty cool place that it's special to me
0: um, and that was Saskatchewan, right, or was that Alberta? Yes.
1: No, that's Saskatchewan.
0: Okay. Yeah. And right
1: now, I'm not real happy with Alberta, but I'm going to go back and give it a second chance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is there is there something different other than you know seeing wolves? Is it is it just knowing that you're twenty miles deep away from a road, like a main road? I mean, what is it about? Like for me, I'm getting ready to go on on this mule deer hunt for the second year in a row in south dakota i'm i'm deep right i I go we go deeper than most it's it's not nine miles deep but it's it's different terrain than iowa it's uh it's a camping type hunt where you know we're packing in all our gear we're camping so it's it's something completely different than what i'm used to is is that what these hunts are like
1: no i both No, it's not quite that that rugged um it's pretty comfortable but i think when i again it's just the the remoteness of it and and just the idea for me that you're truly in a place and, and some people talk about this and there are places like this all over but from my experience in saskatchewan and, and i've said it multiple times is that there's no better whitetail place on earth as far as producing giant deer and hunting the bush is different because you can see the genetics right you go south you can't really hunt south because only citizens can, Canadian citizens can um can hunt south of a certain point. We have to um and those deer are very much Midwest deer, the same thing. They move from bedding to feeding, they're on edge of fields and but they just grow so big. But up north, their horns, you can literally tell a bush buck almost instantly when you see them. But at any point you can have a two hundred, two hundred plus inch deer that nobody's ever seen, never been on a camera. And that just blows it just keeps me going when I'm like you said, when you're when you're ten hours into a, a 10 and a half hour sit and and you're it's minus ten and you're cold and your butt is killing you. I mean that's sometimes the hardest part. It's not the cold, it's just that you don't you can't move. And and because you're you just you know, you never know if you move at the wrong time and your chair creaks or you brush the blind, that, that mature bucks ten steps behind you. And you never see them again, yeah, and uh, because they're not stupid, yeah and but that's what does it for me is just the excitement again, the friendship and the camaraderie, and the relationships I've built up there with the guides and the cook and and dean uh that's that's kind of a why it's so special to me, but also the fact that at any point you can have a two hundred inch deer step out that nobody's ever seen, yeah, it just excites me,
0: yeah, the unknown. I think is what makes hunting special, right? Even in yeah. Iowa, you know, I do, a, I run a lot of trail cameras. So I know for the most part, what deer are in the area, but there's always, especially for really any type of hunting, there's always this unknown, right? It, Your imagination wanders, you, you know, your dreams could come true and you could shoot something that, you know, makes magazine covers or whatever. And I think that's just one more reason I don't know about you, but why I love hunting and it's that unknown.
1: Well, it, 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 and it correlates, or, or it's why I love fishing too. It's I have a, a I, I, it's always one more cast because you don't know what the next cast will bring. And you're right, that's from a hunting. It's why I love elk hunting too because you bu- you bugle and you get bugle back to, and you're like, okay, he sounds good, but maybe you haven't seen it at yeah. all. And if you've got it, you know, you've got him coming and you're working him. And all of a sudden, you know, my experience three or four years ago in New Mexico in the Gila, another magical place, but out steps a a 380 bull. Of course, I missed him. You know, long (laughs) story. I think I think I told you that. story. You did. You did. But uh, but you, you just don't know. You hear the bugle and they're coming and all of a sudden a giant steps out or sometimes you get fooled by a a nice raghorn but either way that unknown and that excitement that is uh
0: is what keeps us doing this over and over again right was that uh new mexico hunt a preference point where you had to have x amount of preference points or was that a lottery hunt
1: oh yeah new mexico's a straight lottery hunt every year there there are no preference points and it's you apply and you, you get picked or you don't get picked even for residents i i mean the one of the the guys that we use up there a guy named mike brazil uh unbelievable hunter um last time i knew he hadn't drawn an elk tag as a as a new mexico um uh, native um in like 10 years oh boy but then his son had drawn two years in a row yeah so it's it's tough scott drew the first year that he ever applied but we haven't drawn since
0: yeah what's uh and, and do you know what the odds were for being drawn for that hunt
1: uh they're they're tough i have no idea i we apply every year and i i wait the end of april i've got my fingers crossed hoping mike will call and say hey one or both of you drew and because uh, if one of us draws that we'll, we'll pick up we'll find another tag yeah, a, a landowner tag. If uh, and and the perfect world would be both of us to draw. Yeah, because we pick, we pick a certain area, and I can tell you guys that the Gila is is truly a magical place for elk. We hunted Colorado this year, lots of elk, um, but man, the the Gila just has giants, and and maybe not as many elk in from a quantity standpoint, but from a quality standpoint, I don't know. I mean, you probably got to go to Arizona and I'm sure Utah, Nevada, got some real good places, but the heel is incredible.
0: Did, uh, when you were, when you were on that elk hunt, uh, did you have a day where you experienced like the elk rut with like bugling, just going bananas and, you know, elk running all over the place? Uh,
1: Every single day for nine days, I, I, I had got out of the truck the first morning. Um, well, so we got out of the truck that night. We got there, and you could stand outside of the camphouse and just hear them bugling back and forth. And go, there's three different elk right there. And um, but the very first morning, we get out of the truck, we walk ten steps, and the it, the sun is. It, I mean, it's just getting light. And they're just screaming just Mm -hmm. one. I mean, one right after another, it's a amazing, amazing place. Had I been rifle hunting, I would have put literally 30 minutes. My first hunt first morning, 30 minutes in, I had a three fifty bull at 350 yards across the Canyon from me. I mean, my hunt would have been over assuming I make the shot, of course, but uh, my hunt would have been over in 30 minutes. And, and I had encounters. Um, I passed a, a, a two ninety three hundred bull that uh, we've got beautiful footage of that. I had him for thirty minutes. Just it's it amazing footage. Passed him on the fourth day because of the gila, you know. And I thought hey, I'm I'm going to have another opportunity. I, I came close uh, several times, but it was finally the ninth day, fifty five miles up and down um, for the week for the nine days and. Uh, but that ninth day, I, I actually had that encounter with that giant, that double main beam giant, and, and uh, missed him. And then later that evening, had a, another small um, elk, the, the uh, bull that we got on that uh, I missed, shot underneath of him That's 63 yards.
0: I want to ask you about that specific moment because, you know, on this podcast – We, we talk a lot about doing a lot of hard work and then finally catching up with something. What was that experience like for you where you were doing all the hiking, you were doing everything right. And then you missed.
1: Yeah. So, you you know, the human nature for, for me, I, yeah you you begin to analyze and then I, I love the self-assess because in the end, like you said, I, I trained super hard for that. And, and it's why I passed that first elk because that I didn't, I wanted to kill an elk worthy of my effort. Not that I needed to kill a bigger one, but I was, I, any elk would be worthy of it, I, I guess. But I really the, everything for a year to get to the Gila and all i i just knew i had five more days and i was like i've already seen elk way bigger than this one so i'm just going to keep working for him and uh, when i missed that giant um that was such a complicated situation that did, did it sting oh it, it hurt me you know but not in the same way as the as the second one the second one was a simple miscommunication between me and the guide he was ranging we'd been pinned down by uh, we had we had about 20 cows that feeding ahead of them. They pinned us down in the open, so we're, we're all crouched on our knees, a cameraman behind us, the guide right behind me, and we're all in the wide open, and they feed directly down one of us. This is all on film and it's beautiful because they weren't down one of us, but they feed down one of us and you could watch these cow elk they would they of course we're all wearing kinetic packs with units on, and the, you would watch a cow elk's head come up, spin and look and then go back down and feed. And then a little bit later, another one's head would come up and look right at us and then go down and feed. And that bull finally worked in. Well, at that time, I'd been on my knees for 30 minutes. I couldn't feel my legs. Every, All of us were in pain and because you can't move. And he ranges him, and uh, um, I thought he said 72, no, 52 and I shot, it goes under him. He says, I, what, what happened? Of course, they all blew out, and it was 62 yards. So oh. it was just, it was a miscommunication. That one hurt because I, I had him broadside. We waited 30 minutes watching him come. You know, I, I steadied up. Everything was perfect. I just used the wrong pen, and uh, and nine days and 55 miles and three Three elk within shooting range that, that that you know, and two of them uh, couldn't seal the deal. Man, so.
0: that's nuts. That is one of those. Uh, but I but I I have a feeling you took away something from that experience. What did you take away from those nine days?
1: Um. Well, the the first thing was is is uh, you know I'd never hunted in the mountains like that, and, and we were at about camped at about 7,000 feet and we would work our way up to eight, 8,500, something like that most days. And just putting the miles on with those guys, what I, I'm in good shape and I, I trained for it, but um, it, for me, it was a challenge that that I took serious all the way up to it. And so I, I was really, I felt like I kicked the mountains, uh, mountains uh, rear end pretty good. And that, that made me, feel good um the second thing was i had no context prior to that um of of elk hunting right i my context was all from magazines and and stories there was no firsthand experience and so um after experiencing i would even with a guy i I know to do things different and um like my first like the situation with that double main being giant um i would have made a different call right off the bat, knowing. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Knowing now, um, I would have I would have told the guy, no, let's stay right here because when we tried to get, we tried to force a better position and got caught in the open. Had we stayed where the where where the other guy had said, stay right here, I'm gonna run back up here and pull him right by you. Um, I had an eight yard shot with him never being able to make eye contact with us because of the brush. He would have oh. literally stepped out of eight yards. But we tried to we tried to force a what we what the other guy thought would be a better position we get nailed in the open and of course as soon as he stepped into an opening in the brush he nailed us and i had that straight head-on shot really couldn't see his vitals because i was on a knee The, the arrow didn't even come close you know so it was uh i learned a lot of details to add to the overall context yeah of elk hunting and that so that makes me really excited about doing it again. This last year in Colorado was very very different. Um, it was more run and gun. You would go high um, and either try to try to spot them and then hurry and get to them because it was so hot yep. that you had about 20 minutes literally you would not they would not come off the side of the mountain until about 20 minutes before the, um, your light was gone. And so if you were up high and you thought, okay, they're going to feed, and you had to you had to be moving and circle all the way back around them and try to get ahead of them and get in the bow range. And uh, twice I was within 60 yards, um, got pops by a cow and a calf on one, which anybody who's elk hunting understands that's just part of it. You don't see them, or or when you're trying to make your move and you drop down into a draw and you're just you're just sprinting to get back up and get in position and you climb back up there. Well, something's moved there. And we were running up on a water hole, had a shooter elk bull there. And when we popped out about 60 yards from him, um, I had brush between me and him, but right to the right, it was open and Callen and Cap at 15 yards Pegasus. So they don't know what we are. They don't blow everybody up, but we can't move to a spot where I can get a shot on a bull. And then we just ran a light, and which was a story that in, entire week. Um, for the most part, it, I had a lot of fun, had a lot of close calls, uh, which is, that's why we call it hunting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so you think I should apply for that New Mexico hunt? Is it worth it? Oh, I, <laughs> I would
1: apply for it every year because look, if you don't get drawn, they refund all your money except for like a little handling fee. I think it's like 69 bucks or, or something like that. I don't, right. I don't remember. It's not a lot, but it, it's a lot to apply about, I think it's about eight hundred and fifty dollars to apply, but if you don't get drawn, all of the money goes right back on, the, on your credit card or, or however you do it. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I would do it every time.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, uh, I went to Colorado this year, and our our camp was at ten three, and we had, yeah, and we had to once we got there, we had to every morning we went up another thousand roughly. Or well, we went we went up to about ten eight, but then by the end of the day, we were at like this year we were at like eleven six, and uh, the the elk were still above us. It was it was crazy. It was nuts how high they were, and uh, we ran into the biggest bull I've ever seen, but he was with a a group of cows, and he had the advantage, and uh, he was there for a reason. And when we tried to work our way in something happened and uh he went quiet and pulled all the cows that were with him away and and then uh the rest of the week was just dead silent not another bugle the entire the entire week and uh but you know like you said that's hunting man but i tell you what that those experiences that's what i want i want to be able to tell like show pictures for me it's it's about pictures and memories right i i love yep. looking back at me climbing up this this dry creek bed, or me me smiling at the camera, and behind me is the mountain range. Right, and I got my bow in my hand, and someday, whether it's my son or my grandson or daughter or whatever, I'm gonna tell them that story, and hopefully, they find it interesting.
1: Absolutely, no, I I agree. Um, it, that's it's all part of the journey. It took me five years to. Uh, to shoot my first buck with a bow and it and i'd had so many close encounters and i'd hunted so hard and i'd got skunked so many times that that first buck all all 110 inches of him is on my wall and he's my favorite buck of all of them because i know how hard i worked for him and that's why these elk i am two the the elk are two and i'm zero um, <laughs> but that will that will change at some point and it all of this is adding up to that day where it happens and And I learn a little bit more and I get a little
0: bit better. And you're going to lose your mind and then you're going to do your first pack out. And then you're going to be like, why did I decide to go elk hunting? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to do a bit of a hard transition now and we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about something that we don't really want to be talking about, but here is this uh, COVID-19 virus that's, uh, you know, sweeping the nation in a bad way. And Let's just talk about Ozonics uh, and O3 in general and talk about um, what what it actually can do to bacteria and viruses. You know, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in the past, but now it's right in front of our faces. And, uh, you know, I don't really want to talk about what it does in the deer woods because— We've talked about that before, but what can we be doing at home with our units? Let's say, let's say we have a unit. What can we be doing at home with our unit?
1: Well, so I think we, I think we have to transition first from the deer woods to this conversation. And the the reason why I say that is because human odor is bacteria, right? Right. Um, And, and so. It's super effective against bacteria. but w- w- something we don't talk about a lot when it comes to, to odor and, and deodorization uh, has ever been this, this idea of a virus. Both bacteria and viruses are pathogens, right? And um, uh, organic pathogens, ozone's super effective against both. Um, there's a lot of, you, anybody can Google it and look, look online and they'll see a lot of the studies. That were done following the SARS uh, um, epidemic back in 2002 2003 that time frame where they did a lot of studies on that same thing with MERS in 2012 I believe it was that time right. frame um, both ozone was found to be super effective at, at destroying those viruses the COVID-19 is a genetic cousin again i'm no scientist and uh, all of this stuff can be found online we've put together some stuff to help people see that uh it's a genetic cousin and you can you can extrapolate that if it's effective against those that it may be effective against COVID-19 um and and we believe that 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 it is certainly a, a tool that can be used to um to help along with all the other things that everybody's doing, social distancing and cleaning surfaces with disinfectants. What I, what I've done for years, um, like when my, I mean, every year for, I've never, I, this is the first year I, I got the flu in my entire life back in December, but my wife's had the flu multiple times. In fact, a couple of years ago she had it in December and then had it again, three months later had a different strain and she gets it bad. And, and I'm super like, I don't want to be sick. So there were a lot of times that I would take my unit and I would just walk around the house, have it on boost and, and flood my house with ozone. Now, I, I would air the house out, I, and I want to caution people, our units are designed to, um, for hunting can they be repurposed to sanitize and and disinfect things or to help sanitize and disinfect? Absolutely. That's what the dry wash bag and the design, that's what it's doing. It's it's deodorizing and disinfecting um, using ozone. And um, we've, we've established some parameters for helping people understand how to do that. So one, you don't damage your unit and two, so you don't um, um, use the ozone in a way that could be uh, um, irritating to pets or plants or people. Um, so can you use it? Absolutely. Can you disinfect with it? Absolutely. They've done it for years. They use it in the medical suites. They have robots that go into operating rooms um, that use UV light, which is just producing ozone to disinfect the air. Um, and we're, so I, I don't know if that answered your question.
0: Yeah. Quite. I, yeah. So, um, just, just kind of saying it out loud. You can use an Ozonics in your home, but you just don't want to be there while you use it.
1: That that's, that is the best way to put it. That's correct. So, so if you're going to use it in your home, say you say you've got um, a bedroom that you want to. Uh, my my dad called me and asked me the same thing, and I said, "Well, look, Dad, you gotta you go take your bedroom, shut the door, lay a towel at the base of the door, fire the unit up." on um if you have an orion fire it up on hyperboost if the rooms if it's a 10 by 10 you're going to run it for let's about an hour go in shut it off open up a window open up the doors let it air out and because the the first thing is ozone is naturally occurring it's in the atmosphere all around you all the time right you're breathing it all day long every day at a certain level obviously these levels are elevated what what does happen is as it, it's, a, it's a molecule that wants to revert back to its original state, which was O2. So O3 very rapidly decomposes to back to O2. Um, so once it's aired out, it's why ozone is so effective. It doesn't leave any toxic residue or, or um, anything on the surface because it just turns back into oxygen if it hasn't already attached and oxidized something like a, like a pathogen, inorganic or organic. Um, it's effective on surfaces or in the air, but in the air it's super, super effective on airborne pathogens. On surfaces, it's still good to disinfect everything, and the drier of, whether it's clothing, a mask, um, whatever it may be, the drier the surface, the more effective it will be because when it's wet or carries a ton of moisture, the, the ozone begins to react with the water vapor or the water molecules and, and isn't as effective against the, the, the uh, pathogens that you're, you're looking to destroy. So the drier things are, the better it works.
0: Yeah. Okay. What about surfaces? How does it uh, affect surfaces like, uh, I don't know, your countertops or uh, where your vanity where in your bathroom?
1: Yeah, so it, most of those things, it's not going to affect at all. I mean, obviously, ozone is an oxidant, a, a super powerful oxidant, and in high doses for extended period of times can affect certain materials, like a, like elastics are very, very susceptible to it, um, depending on how you use it. Um, so you have to be careful with some of that, but most things are, are very um, – are are ozone resistant especially at the levels that you're you're going to be getting to on a unit that's you know only has so long to run on a battery so especially in a wide open area you're producing enough ozone to to uh, deodorize and and destroy pathogens but not enough to begin to to destroy and degrade um most materials again certain rubbers Elastics, you, you need to um, – if you're going to pump a ton of ozone on, like through a dry wash bag or in a small closet, something like that, you'd want to be aware of that.
0: Right. So. How much – how much uh, How much ozone does a typical unit – I know you guys have a variety of different options, but how much ozone does a typical unit uh, push out and – how effective is that in you know a room that's maybe smaller like a bathroom or a closet or a big type family room well
1: like i said earlier we've we've i'd love to give you details on that and but i i can't at the moment i mean one we don't share output numbers um uh, i can say this is we and you can say this as well because you've experienced that we produce enough ozone that you can drop it downwind in an open air environment and effectively destroy your odor. So, so deer with a much more sensitive nose than, than a humans don't smell you right. um, or, or smell a diminished version of you or smell something that resembles you or, or does, no longer resembles you. And uh, it smells like something else because the genetic code has been altered by the ozone in an enclosed environment. Again, ozone, just like working out of a ground blind, you've heard me talk about this, is that um, as ozone saturates an area and and it reacts with inorganic and organic materials, it begins to sanitize that area and it it has a half-life, right? It begins to sit around and wait as it, as it works to decompose back into oxygen. So, you can fill up that unit on hyperboost or a a, a standard 230 or 300 on boost. All of them, you know, the 230 produces a little bit less ozone than the 300 and 300 a little bit less than the Orion. Um, But all of them, it's time and concentration, no different than hunting. The bigger the room, the longer you want to run it. And And you go in there, you can tell. And you can tell very quickly I'm boost mode with most of them. Like I said, a 10 by 10 room, you run it for an hour, you go in there, air that room out good for 30 minutes or so. That's an effective, should be a minimum effective dose for that room. All right. Now, again, I'm, these are, these aren't empirical numbers I'm giving to people. This is, this is our adaption to help them say, Hey, here's a layer of protection. Um, we're working on, on doing that to help give people guidance as we move forward. Um, the main thing is, is as the room grows larger, the more time you need to, to ozonate that room and fill up the volume of the room with ozone, okay? But if you seal the room off, like I said, lay a towel at the door and let them run. So 10 by 10, you run an hour. If it doubles in size, double the run time. Make sure there are no people, plants, people, or, or pets in those rooms when you fill them like that and then air them out. All
0: right. Once uh, once it runs its, uh, its course and you decide to come back into the house, you know, uh, the unit is still going to be running when potentially unless you run it until the battery dies. How long do, do you need to open the windows and let it kind of air out the room or does it – does that ozone molecule dissipate after a certain amount of time, making it safe for you guys to go back in the house? Yeah. So,
1: so the, the, you, I would air it out because there is a half-life to it. And as I said, it's going to sanitize. And once it does that at a certain point, it's going to fill up that room. If you walk in there, turn the unit off and immediately open windows and walk out, you're going to be fine. If you experience Itchy eyes, scratchy eyes, or a scratchy throat, or or any any type of those symptoms, then just go get fresh air. Go outside and get fresh air. Um, the the even that on that unit running wide open for the the time, you would have to lock yourself in a sealed box to reach a level that's and, and like anything you can reach a toxic level. You take 20 aspirin. Aspirin are good for you, but you take 20 of them, not good for you. Oxygen, super good for you. But you, if you, you can pump a person full of so much oxygen, it can become toxic. Right. And ozone is no different. So, well, we'll like anything, you want to be uh, discriminant with it. And again, you go in, turn it off, open up the windows, open up the door, let it air out.
0: Right. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I use it. Uh, I mean, I use it, I mean, I got three kids, right? Kids are stinky and they're messy. And uh, I'll, you know, we'll go on a walk or we'll go to the store and I'll let it run in their bedrooms for a little bit and, and just kind of get, you know, some fret, make it smell fresh. Um, one thing that I did uh, recently was one of my boys, they, they, they peed the bed on accident. And, yep. but they didn't tell me about it. They, they changed and came upstairs. So by the end of the day, you know, they shut their door. By the end of the day, I took them down to, to go to bed again, and that room smelled so bad. And so, you know, you strip the sheets, you scrub the, the mattress a little bit, and then I took the Ozonics and started running it in there. And that odor was gone in, uh, you, know, you know, I'd say in a matter of an hour or so. And uh mm-hmm. I – that's how I – I mean I use ozone – A lot in my house just because of the the germs and the kids and you know hey let's just let's let's just cleanse the air real quick because you know we we don't have an old house but we have an old furnace and there's a lot of you know I don't know probably dust and bacteria in in all the pipes so I run the ozone while I'm circulating the house fan as well and that seems to do a good job of making the house just straight smell better
1: no, so it absolutely, that's what like electrostatic air filters, I'm sure you've heard of. Um, most of those encompass some type of UV light. And that, that's literally what they're doing is filtering ozone through, filtering the air in your house through a, a, the, your HVAC system and using ozone to to um, kill airborne pathogens or, and, and particulate and remove it from the air. And um, so they use ozone to purify water. there's a lot of things here. And for most people, I just, I I want to help them understand that for me, it's a, it's about a risk benefit ratio. Is the, is the, is the risk of breathing a little bit of ozone to kill airborne viruses and bacteria that could be harmful to me and my family? Is it worth breathing a little bit of it in this process? Not a lot of it, But a little bit of it to walk into a room, shut the unit off, air out the room, yes, for me personally. Now, again, I recommend other people. Look, most N95 masks, if you have one, most N95 masks are ozone. They filter out ozone because they have a charcoal base, and charcoal deactivates ozone. So if they have an N95 mask, you can put that on and walk in there without any issues um from from the ones i've been reading about uh the the big deal here again we create these units to, for use downwind um and we want you to use them safely but we also want people to know that they can be repurposed if they I, I have had can't tell you over the last two weeks i you asked me about hunting in kansas i hunted in kansas 2013 and i hunted with um a two guys that were natives of that location. One still lived there and the other had become a, a, an anesthesiologist. And he was a doctor in Kansas city. And he called me the other night and said, buddy, um, it just hit me. I've been hunting with your units for years, but it just hit me. I'm, I'm dealing with the emergency room and, and with these COVID patients and, and we have saturated garments. We have all of these things and I'm an anesthesiologist. I understand the chemistry of these things at, at a whole other level. And, and he he's like, I need units. I need units. Um, I'm building. He did for he built actually built a decontamination room at his house out of six millimeter plastic that he hangs so he can get out of his garage, out of his car in his garage, step into it, and 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 o- ozonate everything, put the clothes in a trash bag, and then step into his kitchen without any obviously, uh, in the buff. So he's not bringing anything into his house. This is how, how, I mean, the, all of our health professionals on the front line are faced with th- this thing. Um, when they intubate patients, you have to understand what happens when a patient's intubated, right? They're they're The, the virus, um, is aerosol to some degree. And that's why they're in so much danger and why the PPE is so important. And, um, and again, so it, any way we can help at least increase the likelihood that, that you're you're gonna um, you're gonna stay safe. I you know I can't nobody can promise anything, but if it helps, that's what that's the message we're trying to get across. If it helps, and we have uh, 120,000 people out there that have units. And, uh, and so they've got something that they can repurpose. They, they can pull it out of their bags. They don't have to wait till the season. They can pull it out to start. I, when I get packages from Amazon, I go out and take my unit and I blow uh, ozone all over my packages from Amazon because the cardboard, because other people have handled them that I don't know. Yep. And, and, and at, at first I thought some people will think that's paranoid, but you can look around you and see that this is the real deal. And, and maybe, maybe it, doesn't affect you but maybe it does maybe right. it doesn't affect you maybe it affects somebody in your family and so i'm not taking any chances and and we wanted to um let people know that if they have a unit they can use it and like i said we have a ton of healthcare professionals that are also hunters and i've gotten call after call after call the the anesthesiologist there's a nurse anesthetist in iowa that i met a couple years at ata um as a matter of fact uh and i think you know ryan
0: yep I know, Ryan.
1: Ryan yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Ryan, Ryan called me, and then I, I a nurse from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, where they're getting hammered right now, called me two days ago, um, saying, "Look, I've got, I've had an HR two hundred for years. I'm a bow hunter um, Northern Michigan. I've been, I've been using mine in my locker to treat my mask and to treat my scrubs." Um, can it, it can we get dry wash bags will those work to do that other people keep asking me in the here can we do that and I'm absolutely so um it was uh it's it's neat to know that we help in another way not just harvest the deer but if we're helping them um, get a little more life out of their mass or their scrubs or protect them um give them another layer of protection it's uh it's pretty. Uh, I hate that it's under these circumstances, but I'm glad we can do
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like like you said, with some of the PPE that is hard to find, or you know, limitate. You know, the you know the whole big thing recently was masks or or, or schmock schmocks or whatever uh, the PPE is that they they may have to reuse. You know, a quick uh, a quick douse of ozone over top of it could could potentially help. That's correct. Cool.
1: That's correct. There's no doubt in my mind that it can help at what level I, I, again, I can't, I can't say those things because I don't know those, the answer to that and same thing with degradation over time. I don't know the answer to those things at the, at the moment because we simply, this has happened so fast and, and we're working on trying to, to, uh, to find and collect some of that data while this is going on. But in the meantime, um, uh, yeah, there, there's no doubt in my mind that ozone will, will destroy bacteria and viruses. And, and I believe that it, it can be effective uh, in this case as well. If it's effective against SARS and MERS, um, I believe that there's a there's a likelihood it's effective against coronavirus. And, and everything we're reading and that's coming out, uh, there's a lot of people making that, a lot of people smarter than me um, making that, the, the same uh, claim. Yeah
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense well i tell you what buddy uh thanks for hopping on again and uh dropping some more information about ozone and, and ozonics on us and uh good luck this fall when uh we all can hopefully maybe not necessarily forget about it but put it on the back burner for a little bit and go outside and and uh live that lifestyle that we like to live
1: I agree, Dan. I'm looking forward to it, and I know everybody else is. We, we're all, uh, we're, this is America, you know, and this is just something else that it's it's kind of wild that, that when you think about that, really, there's there's nobody that's seen anything like this probably since I mean World War II, but maybe even before then. That's been something that's going to affect our nation. Even 9/11. Um, changed our country it did there's no doubt about it and we we were all most of us alive for that Uh, but this I believe is going to change the world in a different way and uh, um, it's going to be tough while we're living in it but long term it's probably going to put us in a better position to, to deal with the next time because the next time may be a lot worse
0: yeah that's fact Jack well buddy man appreciate it have a good one
1: Likewise, partner.
0: Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles episode. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Please share this with your friends. The intro was long, so the outro will be short. If you're not following the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram or Facebook, be sure to do it. If you're not subscribed through iTunes or wherever you download your episodes, please do that and uh spread the word tell everybody you know about the sportsman's nation check out the sportsman's nation youtube channel and uh it's 2020 so look forward to some instagram and social challenges so to speak that are going to be coming from myself and the sportsman's nation about what you can do in 2020 to give back to conservation so we're just going to end it right here